Early voting in the Arizona primaries is rapidly approaching. With that in mind, this week we want to begin focusing on some of the more noteworthy contests, beginning at the legislature. Many eyes are focused on the governor's race and whether or not Senator Mark Kelly will keep his seat in Congress, but we can't forget that the state legislature can really move Arizona's political needle. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Each week, we dig deeper into our state's political stories with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on Arizona's political news. I'm Ron Hansen, a national reporter for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. In today's episode, our own state politics reporter, Ray Stern, will help us make sense of the primaries to watch. Ray, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. All 30 of the state's legislative districts were redrawn last year by the Independent Redistricting Commission, but only a handful have what are expected to be competitive primaries. And to be clear, listeners, this doesn't mean how many districts will be competitive in November. It means the number that currently have significant battles for a major party nomination. Let's start by identifying how many there are and which chamber they're in. Ray, can you give us a ballpark of how many races there are overall that are sort of competitive at this point in the process? Sure. Out of the 90 races that will be, 37 of them are technically competitive in the primaries. And that means that for the Senate races, there's one or more person running in the same party, and for House races, two or more. Overall, how many of those 90 seats that we'll be voting on in November, how many of these districts do we also expect to be competitive in the fall? There will be five competitive districts based on how the redistricting commission defined competitive. Whether they will actually be competitive is what everyone will be watching to see how they perform. And it can't be overlooked that four of the five so-called competitive districts are Republican-leaning. Okay, so is there a common theme in these primaries as far as how they're being contested by the parties on the ground at this point? Is there a way that the Democrats are sort of arguing their case in a way that makes sense across district lines? Is there a way that Republicans are all sort of running to the same spot? I would say to paint a broad brush, the Republicans in the primaries, there's really a couple of themes. One is the typical Arizona, I am more conservative than you. And you'll see that in these races. But then there's also sort of this like throw the bums out sort of mentality. And that's based on the fact that polls are showing that for a lot of reasons, Americans are very dissatisfied with the way that the country is going. The Democrats, on the other hand, um, just to, to, again, look at the broad picture there, I would call their theme survival. They are really in trouble, I would say. Um, They stand a a pretty good chance of definitely losing ground if they're not cautious. And the primaries are going to be, I'd say, they will have some impact on that. For one thing, in these five competitive districts that I mentioned that came through the redistricting process, Democrats have only decided to put up one candidate for three of the five. And so basically what it boils down to is that even if you had the Democrats win in all five of the competitive districts, and there are six running in total in the five competitive districts, you really still couldn't get better than 30 to 30 split in the House. So it would be even. There's a slight possibility that some of the primaries could affect how the general election goes. For example, if voters in a competitive district basically see that there are two sort of very right-wing conservatives, they may then choose to decide to pick a Democrat. If, on the other hand, say both Republicans are moderate, that could leave Democrats in these competitive districts with a tougher choice and maybe lead to more losses for Democrats. 
Okay, so let's start going through these primary races one at a time. Let's start with some of the ones where we see multiple incumbents in the same seats where space is limited. This is sort of political musical chairs of the worst kind if you're a political. So where do we see that? Where it affects most, I would say, are Democrats, especially in um, LD5, which is a Phoenix district. Redistricting put a bunch of incumbents together. In fact, it put four incumbents, two from two districts, into one district. One of the four incumbents dropped out. That was Kelly Butler. But you still have three sort of strong incumbents that will compete against each other, and only one can survive. There's Sarah Liguri. She's a new appointment who was appointed last year, Jennifer Longden, and uh, Amish Shah. So that's going to be tough for them to battle out. The Republicans have a very high-profile race this cycle as well, featuring two incumbents and one seat. Talk about the uh, Townsend-Rogers race. That's probably going to be one of the most watched races across the country. Wendy Rogers has become this national right-wing figure. She's also just made headlines with how much money she's raised. So $1.8 million is now going up against Kelly Townsend's much smaller amount of about uh, $12,000. Kelly Townsend, of course, is an incumbent who is also very conservative like Wendy Rogers and is a leader in you know, what you would call the Stop the Steal movement. Kelly Townsend has been very interested in making sure these election and security bills get passed. But Kelly, uh, unfortunately for her, did not get Trump's endorsement. And that really hurt her. She dropped out of the, the congressional race because of that and now is running and has been placed in the same district with Wendy Rogers. So it's going to be a tough fight between them. Some people, uh, you know, maybe view uh, Townsend as the more moderate in this race, and I suppose she is. Wendy Rogers, of course, has gotten herself in trouble with some of the very offensive uh, to to some people on the internet and has been censured for one group of things, she said, and is now under investigation for another. Okay. So are there any other races at this point that have multiple incumbents that we ought to be aware of? Yes. One of the uh, the most interesting is the race in Legislative District 3, which basically includes parts of North Scottsdale and Cave Creek and Fountain Hills. What's going on there is Joseph Choplick is the incumbent, and he may be okay. He's uh, the one who's raised the most money, and so he may be moving on to his third term in the House. This race also has a couple of other interesting people, in it, including Alexander Culloden, who is a lawyer. And he also represented the Arizona Republican Party and Cyber Ninjas. And so uh, Cyber Ninjas, of course, being the contractor who was used to conduct the audit that the Arizona Senate did last year, which basically ended up proving that Biden actually did win the election, as uh, the official count showed. And then there's Darren Mitchell, who is a former House member. Uh, All three of those people have raised a decent amount of money. So it could be between those three as well. There's also Nicole Cantelmi. She's a lawyer, hasn't raised that much money, but is putting on a serious challenge. Okay, so let's turn to a different category of race at this point. Are there any that feature sort of high-profile challengers, uh, people who are entering the legislative fray from the outside, any heiresses or others of of note? Well, there's going to be a a pretty good fight in Legislative District 4, which is also a Scottsdale and uh, Paradise Valley district that is one of the competitive districts. And so there we have Vera Gabron, who maybe could be called uh, the heiress to, to the U.S. egg family fortune. Um, it's, it's obviously a popular restaurant here in the Valley. But she's also a businesswoman who helped pioneer call centers in India and has quite a bit of business experience on her own. 
um, as well as helping with the family business, apparently. But then there's also Matt Gress, and he's interesting because he's the director of the governor's budget office. So he definitely knows his stuff, and he's also very conservative. So he wants to reduce taxes. He thinks Biden is ruining the economy. So there's also uh, Maria Sims. She's a former lawmaker, and Jana Jackson. And she is not what I would call a rocket scientist, but she is a sort of a multiple degreed businesswoman. Uh, one of the things that she created is this NASA integrated program for kids. There's also a race involving House Speaker Rusty Bowers, and that is sort of an interesting race for some reasons as well. Uh, tell us about that one. That one is interesting because it is one race that represents what is sort of the new moderate Republican versus the more uh, extreme Republican who might be into more of the uh, election problems from 2020. What we have here is Rusty Bowers, who is the Speaker of the House. He recently won the JFK Profiles and Courage Award because of his efforts in stopping pieces of legislation that he thought would go too far. Many Americans would agree they go too far because some of these bills that were put out by the Senate Republicans and House Republicans would overturn the election or at least basically allow the legislature to overturn the election if they believed that there was a reason to. So Bowers has used his power as speaker to stop a lot of those bills from advancing. He's also advanced things like gay rights, which a lot of Republicans have stayed away from. And so he's going up now against David Farnsworth, a former lawmaker who sees him as weak, and a lot of Republicans do because of his stances on those things. Farnsworth has entered this contest really hammering on these very things that Rusty Bowers has been seen as moderate on. And this will be another one where we'll find out just how this new district in Mesa does. It's a, it's a highly Republican district, but whether they pick someone like Bowers or Farnsworth will really have an impact on the greater politics of Arizona. And if there are other candidates that are more in Farnsworth's camp. And so that could change the uh, complexion of the legislature if many of them get elected. Okay. So let's go to door number three. And this is races that you think are interesting for any reason because of the personalities involved, because of the proxy wars that may be smoldering here uh, under the surface. Any races that really just kind of catch your eye that you think listeners should be trying to keep an eye on? Yes, there's a couple of really interesting Senate races that will help set that sort of uh, tenor for the legislature that I was mentioning. One is in Prescott, which is the uh, legislative district one. Ken Bennett, who was sort of the face of the Arizona Senate's audit, is running against a former California lawyer named Steve Zipperman. And Steve is a very hard right-wing conservative. One of the things that he's known for recently, which is when uh, Black Lives Matter protest went up to Prescott in 2020, Zipperman and his wife stood outside with uh, AR-15s and were photographed uh, with that. Another really interesting race is this one between John Kavanaugh, who has been in the legislature since the late 90s, and he's running against a newcomer, Jan Dubowskis. She is a lawyer and a healthcare executive who also fills in as an expert on OAN and Newsmax. She has raised more than any other legislative candidate except for Wendy Rogers, who is just in the stratosphere with her $1.8 million. Jan Duboskis, however, is doing quite well with almost $200,000, and it's a lot more than John Kavanaugh has raised. Why is she raising that much money? Is this a statement about what people think of Kavanaugh? Is this a statement about what they think of her? It's possibly a statement about what they think about the situation in politics now, and Kavanaugh is emblematic of someone who has been in for too long. That's been one of Jan's major themes. 
She's also been focusing on the school issues that a lot of Republicans have focused on and, and how kids are being taught CRT, critical race theory, which of course was a really big issue in the Scottsdale Unified School District where a relative of the school board principal had kept detailed notes on the people that were concerned about CRT. Just also wanted to mention that there is another sort of heavyweight fight, I would call it, going on among Democrats in uh, District 22. Legislative District 22 includes parts of West Phoenix, Tolleson, and Avondale. And that's between Richard Andrade and Diego Espinoza, both of whom were from different districts, now have been put together, and they both decided to duke it out. Both of them are seasoned lawmakers uh, who have come up with a lot of bills that actually have received some bipartisan support. Andrade is the more progressive candidate, and he's certainly letting people know that. Okay, so Ray, you've talked about some of the Democrats racing to the left. We have a battle for the right and the far right uh, in some of the Republican races. Now help us put it together for what this means for the legislature when they reconvene next year with these new candidates, whoever emerges. Talk about what is really at stake for listeners when we talk about these state legislative races. What does this mean for what comes out of these primaries and how that helps shape what will be on the legislative agenda in January? Well, it depends on how it goes, obviously. But if a lot of these more conservative figures get in and Republicans, as I mentioned, are almost certainly going to control the House and the Senate again. And so what would be their agenda if they were um, campaigning on better election integrity, you know, as they call it? Now we're very far past the, the 2020 election. Um, we've had two years of bills passing, including uh, this year. So what will they focus on? You have to think that they're going to continue to go after schools for the critical race theory. And also, in terms of education, they may not be for public schools. They will be for probably more vouchers. That's, that's what uh, some of the candidates are for now. And these are basically public school dollars that go to private schools. There's also not a lot of water expertise that you see coming in. And so uh, while some of the candidates are highly qualified business lawyers and et cetera, we just have a water crisis in the state that doesn't appear to be getting close to being fixed. And it's unclear who's going to be the next water expert. One other thing that's also unclear is who the governor will be that this next legislature will be working with. We'll be talking about the prospects for that race in an upcoming gaggle. Ray, thank you for taking the time to go through all of this. If folks want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you? Just go to at Ray Stern. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. We'll continue our coverage of Arizona's midterms over the next several weeks. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of these episodes. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. You can follow her at Kaylee Monahan, and that's K-A-E-L-Y-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Do you have questions about Arizona's politics? Maybe there's an issue on your mind as we head into election season. Well, we want to hear from you too. You can now send us a note to the gaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. Or leave us a message at 602-444-0804. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. 
We'll see you next week.